there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. I've told you the story before, please bear with me because not everyone's heard it, but you've heard it a thousand times, about the Boy Scout working on a merit badge. And uh, one of the things he had to do was he had to help an elderly person. So he saw this little old lady standing at this crosswalk and he went over and he grabbed her and, and he starts pulling her across the street and she's fighting him. What are you doing? You know, and she's carrying on and he just drags her across the street to the other side of the street. She hitting him with her purse and the whole Ruth Buzzy thing. Whack, whack, whack. And he said, what? What are you doing? I'm helping you. I'm helping you cross the street. She said, I don't want to cross the street. The Boy Scout didn't understand what he was doing. Why didn't he understand what he was doing? Well, he thought he understood what he was doing. He was helping a little old lady cross the street. But you see, he didn't understand what he was doing because he was doing it for a merit badge. And because he was doing it for a merit badge, he didn't understand what the little old lady wanted. Maurice Nicole said, if a man does good for the sake of a reward, he does not understand what he's doing. Obviously, we don't have a lot of understanding. Our understanding is very tiny. In reality, our understanding is very tiny. We understand very little. But we don't know that. We think we understand everything. We think we understand everything perfectly. And we think that if people don't agree with us, they don't understand and they're wrong. But we come from this position of we understand. Jesus was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? I like this story, not because Jesus calls these guys hypocrites. <laughs> a lot of people, I used to like the story because Jesus called these guys hypocrites, and I always wanted to call people hypocrites, so this was my justification for calling people hypocrites. See, we all get what we want when we go to the Bible. We all go to any holy book. We all go to anything. We all get what we want. We get what justifies us, what supports us. Uh, we don't get the truth because we get what we want. Well, why is that? Same reason the Boy Scout got what he wanted. He dragged the little old lady across the street for a merit badge. The little old lady didn't want to go across the street. Well, so what? I wanted this merit badge, so I'm going to do good to you. But the thing is, is that he didn't really do good to her, did he? He did good to himself. And did he really do good to himself? No, actually, in truth, he did not do good to himself, and he did not do good to the lady. In fact, he did himself more harm than he did to the lady. Jesus understood what he was doing. The Boy Scout spun the wheel of cause and effect. So what that means is he tied himself to the wheel of cause and effect. He will have to do that again. Somebody's going to have to drag him across the street, or somehow he's going to have to have that balanced out. Jesus didn't spin the wheel of cause and effect. He practiced karma yoga. One of the things that this work tells us to do is practice karma yoga, but it doesn't really tell us much about how to do that or what that means. And I'm not going to tell you today either because that's not what this talk is about. But I'll tell you some other time if you really want to know. Goodness is above truth, but goodness is not understood. 
the Boy Scout thought goodness was getting a merit badge, and because he thought goodness was getting a merit badge, he thought that dragging the little old lady across the street was goodness. He didn't understand. The truth is not goodness, and it's not understood. And the reason it's not understood is because it's not practiced. So when the truth doesn't bear the fruit of goodness, it's because the truth was not understood. And if the truth was not understood, the truth was not practiced. When he dragged the little old lady across the street, he called that the practice of goodness. But it was not the practice of truth, because he didn't know the truth. He only knew that he wanted a merit badge. When the truth is used to stone another, goodness has lost its rightful place as the fruit of truth. Truth bears the fruit of goodness, or it is truth not understood. The fault does not lie with the truth. The fault lies with the person who understands or does not understand the truth. Telling someone the truth is not among the nine fruits of the Spirit. Isn't this interesting? We're not interested in the nine fruits of the Spirit. We're interested in telling people the truth, just like we're interested in a merit badge. And so we tell people the truth. Why? Well, because it's the truth, and I'm a righteous person for telling the truth. And it is true that part of righteousness is having good thoughts, having good actions, and having good speech. But telling the truth when you don't understand is not good speech, any more than helping a lady across the street who doesn't want to go across the street is an act of goodness. Telling someone the truth is, however, in the deeds of the flesh. Enmities, the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone, Strife, angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues, conflict, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. These are the deeds of the flesh. These are the deeds of the false personality. These are the deeds of the mechanical part of us. This is what it does. This is what it can be counted on to do every single time. Why? Because our emotional center is infested with negative emotions. What are negative emotions? Well, feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone. Strife, anger, bitterness, conflict, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions. All of these things are negative emotions. All of these things are what the Bible calls the deeds of the flesh, what the work calls negative emotions. There's really no confusion. They're all the same thing. In work jargon, negative emotions. In Bible jargon, negative emotions with a point. And the point on it is outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. It starts to list each one where we just generally say, yes, negative emotions. And they just generally say, yes, deeds of the flesh. Essentially, it's the same thing. And the work aims at doing the same thing that esoteric Christianity aims at doing, which is why Gurdjieff said, if you can understand this, if you will, this work is esoteric Christianity. But we can't understand that because we can't find esoteric Christianity because of our blindness. All we can find is exoteric Christianity. Fortunately, though, for the people who are finding exoteric Christianity in the work, they've only found the exoteric work anyway. They have never found the esoteric work, so they can't recognize the esoteric Christianity because they don't know the esoteric work. This work is esotericism, yes, and we take great pride in that, and we boast about that all the time. But Christianity is also esotericism, and they take great pride in that and boast about that all the time, too. But neither one practices it. So, again, we're back to goodness not being understood. If you don't understand it, what good is it? To know is a matter of one center. You can know in one center. So knowing, then, is generally one-sided. So if you tell someone the truth, the truth that you obviously know, it's something that comes from one center. And when it comes from one center, it's one-sided. How often, when you are being one-sided, which means, of course, inflexible and not understanding, how often do you really want to have that broadcast? 
when you're being that way all the time because it's the truth. But when you engage another center and you've got two centers going, you've got the intellectual center and the emotional center hooked up, then you don't want that broadcast. It's like, ooh, forget that. You shut your mouth. Why is that? Well, because you understand something now. Well, what is it you understand? You understand more than one side. You know more than one side. When you know more than one side, your understanding is fuller. Is it as full as it can be? No, but it's fuller. It's better. It's moving in the right direction. Formatory part of the intellectual center knows a great deal and understands nothing. Literally understands nothing. It knows everything and understands nothing. Have you noticed that you know everything and understand nothing? Have you noticed that? That's good. If you notice that about yourself, now you can't take it in big doses. Just a little here, a little there, and then forget about that for a while so that you can get your breath back, so that you can start to feel like yourself again, so that you can start to function again. When you first start to realize that you know everything and understand nothing, it can be devastating. It truly can be devastating because we're so identified with ourselves that we just, it's like, well, what's the point? May as well end it all right now. We may not go to that extreme, but you may. I don't know. To understand takes at least two centers. When the intellectual center and the emotional center cooperate, understanding begins. They have to cooperate. They can't just clash. They must cooperate. They can't just be hooked up the way they're hooked up now, because the way they're hooked up now, they don't cooperate. They're just at odds. You think this, you feel that. You feel this, but you think that. You're not going to do this. You feel like doing this. You know to do this, but your thinker won't let you do that. There's no cooperation there. There has to be some cooperation between the two in order for understanding to begin. Our internal disunity is due to no or wrong interconnections. And all this makes our inner life very contradictory. You want this and you want that. I want to love people, but I hate them. That's, well, that's a little contradictory, but there it is. That's the truth. You want to love people, but you don't. You hate them, and that's the way that is. If you've come to realize that, if you've observed that about yourself, if you haven't observed that about yourself, I'm being offensive to you now. If you have observed that about yourself, you're sitting there saying, yep, amen, brother. You are aware of it. But if you haven't observed it about yourself, then I'm meddling, and I'm being obnoxious, and I'm being a horrible person. <laughs> it's kind of comical, isn't it? When you look at it that way. Well, it is for me. I sit back and look at it that way and I, I watch people's reactions and I think, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not even here. Whoever it is that they're reacting to doesn't even exist. Is not even a real person. Whatever it is they're reacting to doesn't even exist. It's something in their imagination, something in their past, something in their old associations, but the person does not even exist. And whatever it is they're going on about, they're in a dream. I watch people in a dream, yelling or screaming or the one-finger salute and whether driving cars and things, and I think, wow, that must be a real nightmare. That person's having a nightmare. And that's their nightmare, and the best thing to do is not get into it with them. But you have to be awake or else you can be sucked into somebody else's nightmare in a heartbeat. And then it's your nightmare. So here we have this internal disunity from wrong or no interconnections making our inner life contradictory. Our inner life also is very moody. Have you noticed how moody your inner life is? You're up, you're down, you're happy, you're sad, you're uh, back and forth. It's just so moody and generally unpleasant. If your inner life was so pleasant, you may have the illusion that your inner life is pleasant. Let's say, just for the sake of an example, that you think, well, my inner life's not so bad. It's actually pretty pleasant. Really, try going inside and staying there for a while and tell me how pleasant it is. It's not pleasant. And that's why we have movies. And that's why we have distractions. And that's why we have this. And that's why we have that. And that's why we can't keep our attention inside. Because there's not much in there that is very pleasant. It's this big jumble of contradictions and nightmares. It's this big inner hell. 
And the way that we deal with that is we keep it all in darkness and we don't know it. And we live our lives through the five senses. We live our lives attached to what's out there, not what's in here. So it's really not that pleasant in there. And the reason it's not that pleasant is because of no connections or wrong connections due to our basic fragmented identity. Notice the deep satisfaction that comes from interconnections being made through the work. Have you noted when you work, you observe yourself, you withdraw your identity from something, you separate from it. You notice the deep sense of satisfaction, being able to stop and not let it come out of your mouth, or the deep sense of satisfaction that comes from being in a situation and suddenly realizing that the old thought pattern never even occurred to you? It just never even occurred to you to get even, to put the person in their place, to teach them a lesson, to show them what they need to see. I mean, the deep satisfaction that comes from that is like, it's just one of those sighs of satisfaction. And it happens internally. It's a good idea to note these things. It's a good idea because it helps us. The Boy Scout thought he could do. See, that's really the bottom line with the Boy Scout. He thought he could do. He didn't understand the basis of good. Good is based on understanding, right connections, external considering. That's what goodness is based on, external considering. Oh, it had to come down to that, didn't it? Yes, it had to come down to that. The one thing that we don't want to talk about, the one thing that we don't want to think about, the one thing that we don't want to know about, why? Because we realize how lacking we are in this area. We realize how bankrupt we are in this area of external consideration. We're paupers when it comes to external consideration. What we have a wealth of is internal consideration, haven't we? We can consider ourselves, but to consider someone else, that's like, what? That's like going down the street and taking your paycheck and giving it to the first person you see. Taking a month's paycheck and giving it to the first person you see. Here you go. That's not external consideration, incidentally. For those of you who think, oh, that's what I should do, you, you, you people who jump right on, oh, that's what I should do. He just told me to do that. I'm going to do that. Don't do that. That is exactly what the Boy Scout did. That's dragging the little old lady across the street for the merit badge. That is not goodness. Okay? Would you, were you thinking of doing that? No. Okay, good. <laughs> no way. Not with your paycheck, huh? You're too cheap, yeah. You work from my street. Don't come to mine because I won't take it. I don't want the karma. Thank you very much. I'm not interested in having to pay that back because you will have to pay it back sooner or later. And if you're the one who gives it, you will have to get your reward sooner or later. You've got to come back around to do this. It's like, no, 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 no. Thank you very much. I am going to try the other one, the karma yoga. I'm going to try that. See how that works. You do as you wish. Lawyer asked Jesus this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? They'd been testing him, trying to trap him with the, you remember the one about the coin? The law says we should do this, and, but Caesar says blah, 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 blah. And he said, well, bring me a coin, bring me a denarius. And they bring him one. And he says, whose image is this? He said, well, that's Caesar's. He said, well, give to Caesar whatever belongs to Caesar and give to God whatever belongs to God. And they were all confounded and like, they, darn it, he got us again. And so one of them, a lawyer, he comes up and he's, he noticed that Jesus was thoughtful and he gave good answers. That well, this guy knows something. So he said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For those of you interested, this comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39. I'm sure it's in other gospels as well, but that's where I pulled this particular one from. 
if you're interested in reading it. And the other reading that I shared with you is from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, if you're interested in reading that. I suggest that you do read these things in context, just to make sure that I've got it right, and also to help you to understand esoterically what these words that are almost without fail taken exoterically, misunderstood. They're almost always misunderstood, but they can be understood esoterically, and I'm giving you clues, little ways to help you to understand them esoterically. And if you'll take that little bit and you'll apply it to other things, you'll find that you're understanding things esoterically. You'll find that you're getting the knack for it. You're starting to get the feel for it. You're starting to get the taste of it. And when you do that, the whole thing opens up to you and it becomes very rich. All esoteric teachings do then. They become very rich and very full of meaning. And new meaning is what we're after. And if you want to change your being, if you want to change your being, who you are, what you are, what you are being, this whole thing of what you are. In other words, if you want to change your life, you've got to change your being. And if you want to change your being, you have to have new meaning in your life. You can't keep feeding on the old meaning and expect your being to change. It won't change. You must have new meaning. So I'm giving you this new meaning. I'm giving you these clues to new meaning so that you can feed yourself. You could come here and listen to me forever, but that's not what I want. What I want is for you to go away. (laughs) But I want you to go away with something that you can use. I want you to go away with something that you can use to get new meaning so that your being can change, so that your life can change. That's what I want. That's why I'm here. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm not here to make money. I'm not here to look like I know something or to be somebody. I'm not here for any of those reasons. I'm here only for that, only because the truth must be served. And when you're given the truth, you must give it. It's it's the only thing you can do. You become a servant of the truth. You must give it. You have no choice. Your only choice is to give it back or to give it away. Since I'm not intending to give it back, I must give it away, which makes me a servant. And so I have to serve it. Just like a waiter at a restaurant. I come and I take your order and I go to the kitchen. I get the truth and I bring it out and I give it to you. I serve it to you. I serve you. I try to do that as politely and nicely as possible. And if you send stuff back to the kitchen, I take it back and, you know, say, well, he doesn't like it. (laughs) And you can deal with the cook on your own terms. (laughs) But I'm not the cook. Don't blame me. I'm just serving it. And so since I'm just serving it, I can't really take the credit for it either. Well, that's my position, and that's obviously practicing karma yoga. Whether you understand that or not, I don't know, but there it is. That's how you actually practice karma yoga. You must do good yourself first, or loving your neighbor as yourself won't work. This makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But if you don't want nice things done to you, that doesn't work. You end up doing not nice things in the world to your neighbor. A lot of people think, you know, well, I'd want somebody to tell me the truth. Yeah, well, then how come when people tell you the truth, you never like it? Well, I like it when they tell me that I'm pretty. Well, no, we're not talking about compliments. We're talking about people telling you the truth. You know, the same truth that you tell people. You know, when you say, well, it's the truth, isn't it? That truth? You don't like that when people tell you that. So if you don't like that when people tell you that, then maybe it'd be a good idea to think about the other person and how they might like it when you tell them that. See, that's the first step in this whole thing of external consideration. It's easy to sling the truth because the truth comes at three levels. The hardest level, the basic level, is the stone truth. We know what we do with stones, right? If you've ever been to Israel, and I have, and Jerusalem in particular, the whole thing is made of stones. Everywhere you look, there are these stones. It's like this place in Escondido reminded me of Israel. You know that mountain where it's all stones? 
all those brown stones and tan stones, and they're little ones, big ones, and just billions of them. Jerusalem is like that. It's like this, this city built on stones, and everywhere you look, there's stones. And even in the city, everywhere you look, there's stones flying past your head, hitting the bus windows. Everywhere I went, there were people throwing stones. Like, wow, I had never seen so many stones. And I'd never seen so many stones fly either. They are airborne there. Of course, I was there in, in, I think, 91. I think I I was there during the Gulf War. And it was a very tumultuous time. Maybe it's not that way now. Right. It has always been that way. It's so strange to me that the city of peace, Jerusalem, the city of peace, doesn't have any in an outer way. If there's an inner peace, you have to find it inside yourself. So here's the deal. We have a friend here who travels a lot, and so he's on airplanes a lot. And one of the things that he notices every time is when the stewardess gives a little talk about the oxygen mask. If there's an emergency and the oxygen masks come down, they fall down from above. That before you take the oxygen mask and put it on your child or the sick person or, or the, you know, whoever you're with, put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then put the oxygen mask on the other person who can't put it on themselves. And he says that every time he hears that, he's reminded that this work is something that he has to apply to himself first. And that is a wonderful reminder. And I'm sharing this with you because I want to remind you of this. You must do this to yourself first. You must do good to yourself first. You must love yourself first. Now, this is not self-love. This is not what we know now as self-love. That's not what I'm talking about. Doing good to yourself is different than the self-love that we have. How do you love yourself? First, know yourself through proper self-observation. Because what you know is not yourself, so you can't love yourself. What you can love is your false personality, your imaginary I, because that's what you know. How well do you know it? All that you know is that's you. You don't know anything else about it other than it's wonderful, it's always right, it always does the right thing, it's always good, people don't treat it right, and they owe it a lot, and it's always giving, and it's always generous, and it's always loving, and it's always kind, and it's always righteous, and that people are not, and they don't give it what it deserves. That's what you know about yourself. That's the self you know. And that self is not yourself. So if you love that self, you're not doing what this says. You can't love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, the world is going to look like it looks. It's going to be at war all the time. People are going to steal from each other. They're going to kill each other. They're going to hurt each other. They're going to be mean to each other. They're going to tell each other the truth. In other words, they're going to stone each other. So first, you've got to know yourself through proper self-observation. You've got to separate from negative eyes. Don't believe in your goodness, but rely on your nothingness. If you believe in your goodness, you can tell other people the truth with impunity. You can stone people with impunity. You can stone them to death. And of course, the only time we really tell people the truth is when we want to stone them to death. We want them to stop being whatever it is they're being. That is the purpose of death, to stop someone from being whatever it is they're being. That's why we kill people. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, I'm speaking esoterically. We aren't out there killing people. We aren't shedding their blood, literally. Most of us are not anyway. I hope you're not. But what I'm talking about is esoterically. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Well, what does that mean? It means that you've killed him in your heart. What does that mean? It means that you have killed yourself, your true self. And you have allowed this other thing to live, this other thing to exist, while you killed your true self. Do you really kill your true self? No. Your true self is eternal. It can't be killed. But you can kill it to your consciousness. You can kill it to your awareness. And that's pretty bad. Stop listening to self-sung praise songs about your excellence and how much good you've done. Just stop it. Get out of the habit of listening to self-sung praise songs. 
What will happen? You'll understand what you never before understood and stop ascribing merit to yourself. When you stop singing your self-sung praise songs, when you stop talking about how glorious and wonderful you are and what you're owed and all the rest of this madness that comes from this self-love, you will begin to stop ascribing merit to yourself because you will understand your nothingness. You will understand the fact that you're a servant, that you go to the kitchen, you get what the chef has prepared, you bring it to the table and you serve it as politely and pleasantly as possible. And that's it. And if they give you a compliment and say, wow, you're really a good cook. Thank you. You say, I'm not the cook. I'm just a servant. The chef is in the kitchen. I'll pass along your compliment to him and then do that. But we don't do that, do we? <laughs> Somebody tells us, wow, you sure are talented. We get all popped up. Oh, yeah, I sure am. I worked hard to get this talented. Wow, you sure do play the violin well. Yes, you're right. I certainly have worked hard to play the violin well, and I really am a wonderful violin player. And the next thing you know, you're all puffed up. That's not giving the compliment where it belongs. What gave you the power? What gave you the desire? What gave you the violin? What gave you the fingers? What gave you the understanding? What gave you the intelligence? What is it that moves your body? What force animates your body? It is not you. Because if it was you, you could take it up and put it down. But you can't. If your body dies, you can't come back to it. You have no power. So give credit where credit is due, and it's not due you. Don't take the credit for something that you didn't do. What did you do? Well, you haven't done anything. You're just a servant. You're just a puppet. Now, you're either a puppet of your creator or you're a puppet of your false personality. Oh, you're looking grim. We'll change the subject. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how grim you can look. Oh, it's just wonderful, really. Your self-ascribed goodness will keep you under the law just as effectively as your badness. Do you want to be under all of these laws, 48 orders of laws? Then stop ascribing goodness to yourself. If you ascribe goodness to yourself, you keep yourself under these laws. This is what karma yoga is about. Stop ascribing goodness to yourself. Stop ascribing badness to yourself. The greatest good you can do to yourself is to release yourself from imaginary eye, to release yourself from false personality and the pictures that you have of yourself. This is the greatest good that you can do yourself. Do good to yourself first. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Don't tell other people the truth. Tell yourself the truth first. Put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Breathe deeply when you've got it securely attached. Then put the oxygen mask on someone else if they need it. When do they need it? When they ask for it, not when you say they need it. You need a good dose of oxygen. Uh, you need to cross the street. Uh. <laughs> Whoa. Don't do that. Don't be a Boy Scout. Don't drag little old ladies across the street for merit badges. Don't tell people the truth because they need it. Thousands of new connections will be made in you and understanding will dawn internally. You'll better understand yourself. You'll better understand life, and more importantly, you'll better understand your neighbor. And you're never going to be able to love your neighbor until you can understand your neighbor. As we are, we live in fear because we live in a small, dark place internally. And that's understandable since there are so many contradictions in there, and we have to keep them separated so that we don't go crazy. We just end up living in this little dank, dark place. Very small. With the light of consciousness comes understanding and larger digs. Makes sense. You light the place, you have understanding, the light cleans things, and everything expands. You can move around a little bit. You have some flexibility. 
Reese Nicole said, continual anxiety, continual unnecessary fear is a sign of lack of understanding and so of lack of inner development. When I get to these parts, I always have Maurice Nicole say them because I notice that you're much happier to hear them from him than you are from me because you don't know him and he's dead and there's an ocean separates us. He's from England and you're from America and, and he's from a different time and he talked about something and it, you don't take it personally. I say it and you take it personally. So I always have Maurice Nicole say these things. You'd be surprised how few of these things Maurice Nicole has actually said. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he actually did say that. Don't argue. Your fear is necessary or you'll get to keep it. See, people argue that their fear is necessary. Well, it's right to be afraid. Fear is good. Fear is not good. And it's not right to be afraid. It's a weakness. It's a problem. And it needs to be overcome. And the problem is the reason you'd rather keep it is because the cure for fear is something you don't want to deal with. What is the cure for fear? Perfect love casts out fear. Oh, perfect love. Well, fears are pretty good. You know, you need fears. If I wasn't afraid, I would have stepped right out in front of that bus and been killed. So my fear saved me. No, actually, understanding that the bus could kill you is what saved you. It wasn't your fear. You could have understood that without the fear. What you don't understand is your life. If you understood your life, you would have no fear about being run over by a bus. But because you don't understand your life, you have that fear. But again, this is beyond the scope of our talk right now, so we won't talk about that. But I do have other things to say about it, and maybe another time we will get together and I'll say those things. But for right now, we're just going to try and stick to this subject, which is painfully difficult for me, I must tell you. Because these ideas pop into my head and I think, oh, oh, I want to tell them this. Oh, I, oh, they really need to understand this. Oh, oh, this would be good too. And you just can't do it all at once. This work is huge. And it must be understood first in parts, and then those parts must be connected. And when you start connecting the parts and they all get connected together, then it's hard to just stay with just one part because it connects to another part and you want to tell about that part too. So that's the problem I'm having, but I can make it through this. I can do this with your patient understanding. If you don't connect with a force that can help you, change is probably impossible. Now, some people will say it's impossible. I don't know. The truth is I don't know. So I'm not going to say that. But I'm going to say in all likelihood, if you do not connect with a force that can help you, change is impossible. It looks that way to me. It looks like change is absolutely impossible unless you can connect with some kind of force that can help you. The change in this system is not possible. That the only way change can come is if you get help from outside this system. If you get help from the conscious circle of humanity, if you contact somehow the higher centers, if somehow you get something more powerful than what is in this system. This system controls us because we are not powerful enough to escape the control of this system. And unless we get help from something more powerful than us, we cannot escape this system because it's too strong for us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So we need help from somewhere else. I'll leave that to you, that business for now. The people from whom this work comes reached higher levels than us. The people that have shared this work with you share this work from higher levels than you have reached. That's how it is. A lot of people don't like that. A lot of people want to imagine that the level they are at is the high level. But it's not true. It just isn't true. There are higher levels than the levels that we are at. And this work comes from those higher levels. All esoteric teachings come from higher levels, from more conscious people, more conscious than us. It doesn't matter how conscious you are. It comes from more conscious people. And that's the way it is. Jess and I were having a discussion yesterday, and he said something about, we were talking about this. He said, well, it's difficult for me to understand that you could say these words and not be feeling what I would be feeling if I was saying those words. Is that pretty much it? If I was saying those words, I would be being negative. I can understand that it's possible that someone could say those words and not be negative, but I don't think it doesn't hit me that way. In other words, when I hear you say these words, I think you're being negative. 
Why? Well, because if I were saying those words, I would be being negative. We don't see very far above our level. We can't understand really how someone could say those words and not be negative. We can't understand how Jesus could say, you hypocrites, and not be negative. We would be negative if we said it, but he wasn't. How do I know that? (laughs) Because he wasn't saying those words. He was just delivering to the table. He was the waiter. He just delivered the dish to the table. He had nothing going on about it. How do I know that? I know that. And you could know it too. But that's neither here nor there at this point. I've told you seeing is above all. Seeing more deeply means seeing from more connections between centers. When you see more, you understand more. When you make more connections between centers, you understand more. You see more. You understand more deeply. When you understand, it means you understand the other person who is the same as you, who is just like you. You see, here's the funny thing. When we tell someone the truth, we don't think about them. You tell somebody the truth, you're not thinking about that other person. You're thinking about you telling the truth. It's all about you. It has nothing to do with the other person. If you cared at all about the other person, you would put yourself in the other person's position. You would understand the person. You would understand that that other person is affected by unpleasant things said just like you are. When someone says an unpleasant thing to you, you are affected. When you say an unpleasant thing to another person, they are affected just like you are. But you're not thinking of them when you say an unpleasant thing to them and then say, it's the truth, isn't it? You're thinking of yourself. What this work is about is learning how to think of the other person. Well, then I won't have to tell anybody else the truth. No, you won't get to tell anybody the truth. What does that mean? You won't get to vent your negative emotions and call it the truth. That's what it means. See, understanding includes others, not just yourself and your interest and your family and your money and your business and your goals and your hopes and your dreams. Understanding the other person means understanding their business, their family, their interests, them, their goals, their hopes, their dreams. When you stand under your self-will, when you stand under your self-interest, you stand under false personality. And when you do that, you begin to get some separation from your smothering self-love. And that's really what self-love is. Self-love is smothering. It smothers you. As you start to understand people, as you start to externally consider, as you start to include their feelings more, as you start to include their hopes and their dreams and their interests more, the second line of work is a natural thing. It just flows right out of that naturally. You don't have to work it. It just happens automatically. You just stop being so hurtful. You stop being so selfish. You stop being so one-sided where you know everything. First, we must free ourselves from our self-appreciation. This is the first line of work. We must first put the oxygen mask on ourselves. Before you try the second line of work, putting the oxygen mask on someone next to you, get it on your own face first. Start breathing it for a while. Start getting rid of some of your own self-appreciation, some of your own glorious, wonderful pictures of yourself and how great you are and how generous you are and how kind you are and how long-suffering you are. Smile, Diana. It's not that bad. Begin to become conscious of other people's difficulties, not as a point of judgment, but as a point of compassion and external considering. This is what it means to love your neighbor. You can do this. If you couldn't do this, you wouldn't be told to do this. It is possible. Just get busy doing it. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.